May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be multiplied unto you. Our sermon text this evening comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And I will read the first few verses of that chapter. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. The word of God reads. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Well, as you know, we began a new series in the Gospel of Luke last week. And we're covering basically snippets of each chapter of Luke for the next several weeks. And so it's not a very deep and profound study. We're not setting the the plow too deeply. Uh, We simply want to scratch the surface of the book and center our hearts and minds on the person and work of Jesus Christ as revealed in this gospel. Luke tells us at the outset of his book why he even wrote the book in the first place. He said that he's writing this book to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus could be anyone who is a God lover. But he's writing this book that you may know the true truth of the things that you have learned or the true truth of your catechesis, your instruction in Christ. 
And one of the things we note early on in Luke's gospel is that the stories center around God and children. And Luke helps us to develop a theology of children in the early part of his book, something that he will draw on later on in the book. So what we're seeing here is very important for some of the stories we will encounter a few weeks from now. But so far in Luke 1 and now into Luke 2, we see that there are stories of women and their children. And the children story begins from before they were conceived to the time of their conception, throughout the period of their gestation until they're finally born. Last week, we focused on John, who was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, an elderly couple who, by biological realities, should not have been having children. And yet God, in his grace, granted them a son, a son who was a cousin to Jesus, who was born of the Virgin Mary. Again, according to biological realities, she should not have been bearing a child. And yet through the work of the spirit, she was bearing a child. The story of Jesus actually begins in eternity past, but we could just gravitate to what Luke tells us. Before the time of his conception, Gabriel the angel came and revealed all kinds of things to Mary about Jesus. And we learn that God knew Jesus before he was born, not only because he was God and dwelled with God from all eternity, but also because God is sovereign and he knows the end of every story from the beginning. And God told Mary through the angel who Jesus would be, what Jesus would do long before Jesus was even conceived in the womb. And in this revelation to Mary, God reveals to her that Jesus would be a son. He would be a savior. He would be a sovereign that he set apart for God's purposes from before conception until his birth and beyond. She was told, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. These are all echoes of things the prophets had been declaring about the Christ long before Mary was even born. And so we see the storyline of the Old Testament scriptures coming together and finding their fulfillment in Jesus. One of the interesting things about this storyline is that God says things of Jesus that are true, already true, and yet not yet fulfilled. So again, you see the principle of the already not yet, even in the story of Jesus. He is already a son, already the Savior, already the sovereign Lord, and yet... He hasn't even been born. So God calls things that are not as though they were. After his conception, while Jesus is developing in the womb of Mary, many interesting things unfold in the story. The one that often gets overlooked is the one that's actually the most important. And that is that God took on flesh and became man in Mary's womb, not at his birth. It's common among Christian circles in December around Christmas time for everyone to celebrate the incarnation of God, God coming in the flesh. And it's right to do so. We do it and there's nothing wrong with that. But the thing I want you to see is that God took on flesh 
in the womb of Mary. He didn't wait until the birth of Jesus. And so at the moment of conception, we find the moment of the incarnation. And again, as I mentioned last week, while Jesus is still this teeny tiny little baby forming in Mary's tummy. At that moment, he's God in the flesh. And while his body is still unformed as newly conceived babies are and his body is developing and you've got cell division and multiplication and the formation of the human body, even in those moments, he is God in the flesh. And so when he's being knit together and woven together in his mother's womb, even then he's God in the flesh. And after that 40 week period from conception to formation, it's time for Mary to give birth. And she gives birth to a baby boy, just as the angel said she would. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 4, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law in order to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What happens from the birth of Jesus forward is the part of the story that many of us have come to learn, come to love as we see Jesus growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Uh, in the grace and knowledge of God, his father. Now, last week I said that the first two chapters of the gospel of Luke would contain sermons and messages for little children. So little children, I want you to listen up today. Some of what I'm going to say will be for big people, but maybe you can grasp it as well. And then some of what I'm going to say will be for little people and even your parents will be able to grasp that as well. So there will be a little something for everyone if we all just listen to what's happening in this very well-known story. In the story, we see that after Jesus was born, Mary took her baby boy and she wrapped him up in cloths and set him in a manger, a feed trough, the thing the animals eat out of. We might ask, why did she do that? Well, God took that and said, this is a sign of good news that will be for the shepherds. So God sends shepherds over to Mary and they find Mary's newborn baby boy wrapped up in these cloths. And they say, this is the the child that the angels told us about. He is the Savior. He's Christ the Lord. Now, this was good news for the shepherds, but the angel said, it's not just good news for you shepherds. And it's not just good news for the rich and the famous. It's not just good news for Jewish people. It's also good news for Non-Jewish people, Gentile people, for the nations, for everyone. This is good news for the world. It's good news for people who are poor and weak and hungry and sick and broken. It's good news for them. It's good news for everyone in the world. This is good news of great joy. Recently, a family in our church had a baby and it was good news of great joy. We all rejoice to hear the good news of the birth of the child and and her growth and development and health. And we rejoice with that family at God's grace in their life. So we all know what it's like to have children come into our family and the good news it is to us. But imagine on a cosmic scale, the birth of this baby Jesus, God in the flesh is good news for everyone. Now, this event reveals to us or fulfills for us what the prophets had said. 
Isaiah the prophet said, To us a son is born, to us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He goes on to talk about how this one will sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom from this time forth and forevermore. And if people asked, how in the world will this even be possible? The answer was, the zeal of the Lord God Almighty will do this. And in the scripture reading we heard before the sermon, Bethlehem, the place where Mary gave birth to Jesus, was designated, pointed out as the place where this shepherd child would be born. That she who is in labor will give birth and the rest of his brothers will return and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and he shall be their peace. So it's no wonder that the angels gathered around over the shepherds at the announcement of this gospel truth that Christ the Lord had been born and they announced peace on earth among those with whom God's favor rests. Yes, the peace of God had come in the person and work of Jesus. Here's something else I want you to think about when you read this story. The fact that Jesus is wrapped in swaddling cloths, the fact that he's wrapped in cloths as a baby, actually foreshadows something that will happen later in the story. There will be another time in Jesus' life when he is going to be wrapped in cloths. In the first case, he's wrapped in cloths as a baby because there's hope that he is going to grow and live and become a man. But at the end of the story, he'll be wrapped in cloths again. Why? Because people believe his life is over. He's died on the cross. They wrap him in cloths and bury him in a tomb. And so keep these things in mind and we'll pick up on it again later. But what are the angels doing here? The angels are singing... And it seems to us that they might be singing a new song. But in fact, they're singing a very old song. They are echoing the songs of the prophets who were not singing new songs in their days, but echoing songs of the Spirit of Christ in their time. And what is happening here is all of creation, angels and men, And all of the cosmos has gathered around to worship and praise the coming of God in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the timeline begins to open up for us here. Eight days after Jesus is born, something happens. Forty days after Jesus is born, something happens. And then you fast forward until he's 12 years old and something else happens. And I want to try to draw those things together for you here, especially for you kids, because I want you to see that as you are growing up in the Lord, you're going through the same rites of passage that Jesus Christ went through. On the eighth day... Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be circumcised. And we gloss over that and read over that quickly as if it's just a simple ritual. He'll get circumcised like a surgical procedure, a little visit to the doctor, and now it's over. Move on with life. But let me remind you of why this is so significant. It's on the eighth day that he receives the sign of the covenant. That's what circumcision is. It's when God marks Jesus as a part of his covenant people. It's also the time when he receives his name. 
So for the first eight days, even though people think of him as Jesus, now he is formerly known as Jesus, the Savior, Christ the Lord. And there's something else here that I want to remind you of from the Old Testament, that if Mary and Joseph had refused to bring Jesus for circumcision, here's what would have happened. Jesus would have been counted as a covenant breaker. And he would have been cut off from God's people. And so the thing I want you to see here is that Jesus, God in the flesh, comes into the world entirely dependent on other people. This baby has to depend upon the faithfulness and the obedience of his mother and father to do the right thing for him. If they fail to do the right thing for him, he will bear the consequences of their failure in his life. And so his faithfulness begins with the obedience of faith of his parents. So Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to be circumcised and he's marked with God's covenant sign. He is a part of God's promised people. He is a part of what God is doing in the world. And he's marked with that sign. Something I want you to see here is that this is not the only time Jesus will be circumcised in his story. He's circumcised here first as an infant. This is the first circumcision, but it is a foretaste of the last circumcision. Here his flesh is cut off and he feels a sharp pain in his body and tears stream down his baby face and he cries out in pain. He even sheds a little blood at this moment. But all of this is just a foretaste of what is to come. What he experiences here on a very small scale as an infant, he will experience later on on a much larger scale as a man on the cross. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 11, the Apostle Paul describes the crucifixion of Jesus as a circumcision in which the body of the flesh is cut off. And so this is a small foretaste of what is to come, preparing Jesus for His day of crucifixion. And we'll get to that again later in the story. Well, you fast forward a little bit in Luke chapter 2 and 40 days in. So Jesus is six weeks old, roughly. 40 days in, he goes through this consecration, this dedication, this ritual that God had given to his people that was for all the firstborn sons of every covenant family. And so he goes to be presented to the Lord and given back to God. Mary and Joseph are obeying God's law. They run into an older man there who takes Jesus in his arms and says some remarkable things about him to his parents. He calls him the Christ, salvation, a light for the nations. Jesus is God's promised fulfillment to the world, to Jews and Gentiles. Simeon warns Mary and Joseph that this child Jesus, who looks so sweet and innocent and kind in this moment, has been appointed by God to do something remarkable in the world. It's common to hear people say that Jesus came into the world to save every single person under heaven, no matter what. You'll hear that kind of thing. But that's not what Simeon said who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said that God has appointed Jesus, this baby, to grow up 
and to make some people fall down and to make others rise up. That he is a stumbling block to some and a sanctuary to others. Those who stumble on him will be broken to pieces and those on whom he falls will be crushed. But those who for whom he is crushed will be mended and healed and those who stand on him will never fall. In other words, Jesus is coming into the world not to be a divisive person per se, but he is certainly going to be a polarizing figure. Everyone who encounters Jesus will have to make a decision about what they are going to do with him, whether they will trust and obey him or not. No one can come to Jesus and remain neutral. He doesn't allow for that. And that's Simeon's point, that when Jesus comes into the world, when he comes into our life, he is going to cause some of us to stand up, to rise up, but he's going to cause some people to fall down. And this is what he is appointed to do. This is his destiny as a child. Now, moms and dads, when you had your children and people were telling you how much they loved your children and how sweet and precious they were, and they were so tiny and you had dreams in your head of what they were going to be, it is unlikely that any of you thought, my child is going to grow up and polarize the world. None of us thought that about our children. Everyone wants their child to have an impact on life, to leave their mark, to do something to change the world, perhaps make it a better place. Mary and Joseph had the same kinds of dreams for Jesus, and yet they hear the truth about their son. Here's what's going to happen when he comes into the world. This Savior, this Christ, this light for the nations, he's going to polarize things. He's destined to be a sign that will be spoken against, that will be contradicted, so that pensive, doubting, fearful, thoughtful hearts might be revealed. That's what Simeon says. Now, interesting statement made here about Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph are said to have done everything according to the law of the Lord. That was not in our reading, but it is in Luke 2. Mary and Joseph are said to have performed everything according to the law of the Lord. And then they return to Galilee to their own town in Nazareth. It's an interesting expression, isn't it? That they have performed everything according to the law of the Lord. We're not accustomed to hearing this kind of language in evangelical circles. We have a negative view of the law of God. We think the law of God is a bad thing, that the law of God is a heavy burden, that the law of God couldn't possibly help us rear our children because it's so stern and strict. And yet, God entrusts His Son to a mother and a father who are going to bring Him up according to everything in the law of the Lord. Now, given Jesus' family and life experience, we can say with confidence that Jesus knew the Holy Scriptures from His infancy on. And I don't mean that Jesus knew the Scriptures intellectually or emotionally as an infant. But He's knowing the Scriptures, learning the Scriptures experientially and spiritually. And so with the help of his mommy and daddy, Jesus is learning God's word by experience. 
So again, to emphasize something I said a moment ago, Jesus' spiritual growth depends on his parents' spiritual devotion and discipline. I've read a lot of different things about this story, and I've never come across a place where anyone ever accused Mary and Joseph of imposing their will on Jesus. No one ever accused Mary and Joseph of imposing their will on the infant Jesus when they had him circumcised on the eighth day. Or when they had him consecrated on the 40th day after his birth. Everyone who reads the story recognizes that Mary and Joseph were just doing God's will on behalf of Jesus. They were applying God's word to Jesus and they were doing all of these things by grace through faith. So you mommies and daddies, let me say something to you, Christian parents. Do you know that you are doing the same things by faith when you get your children together and bring them to Sunday school or bring them to worship? And they're groggy and they don't want to go and it's a long haul over and the car is hot and it's not very pleasant, right? And yet you're doing these things because you're doing what's right and good according to God's word for your family. When you present your children to the Lord in baptism, you are doing what's right and good for your children. You're not imposing your will on them. You are applying God's gracious will to them. When you teach your children to obey the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you teach them the catechism. When you sing with them. When you pray with them. When you counsel them. When you comfort them. When you love them according to God's word. You're not imposing your will on them. You're applying God's gracious will to them. I've had to push back against people who think that we're imposing our will on our children by bringing them up in the Lord. You can push back to your critics and say, well, you're imposing your will on them in a different way, aren't you? When you neglect to bring them up in the Lord, you're still in charge and you're still doing something for them. So we want to do what's right and good as Mary and Joseph did. The thing that impresses me about this story is that God entrusted Mary and, Joseph, uh, Mary and Joseph to raise up Jesus. Can you imagine the pressure of raising up the Son of God? Knowing His destiny, knowing what God has determined and planned for Him to do. And yet here they are trying to do the right thing. If this is how God wanted His Son to be raised, just imagine how He expects for your sons and daughters to be raised as well. I want to say something here about the law of God in defense of the law of God, because we live in a time when people like to criticize the law of God. And and I've heard this sort of thing said by some that only hardcore legalistic parents would ever try to do everything according to the law of God for their children. No one would say it that plainly, but that's the essence of what I've heard And if you think about that, it just shows you that God's ways are not our ways. Psalm 19 says this of the law of God, and this is David, David's psalm. 
He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than much fine gold, and keeping them there is great reward. And this helps us understand why Mary and Joseph raised Jesus according to everything in the law of the Lord. And what was the result of their Efforts at rearing Jesus in this way. Did he grow up to hate God? Did he grow up to despise religion? Did he grow up to hate the Bible? No, the scriptures tell us plainly that Jesus grew and became strong and he was filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. The favor of God was upon him. I want to suggest to you parents that in your efforts to rear your children... Imitating Mary and Joseph in this way will do you much good. Now, God takes us where we are, not where we should have been. And God works with us from where we are, not where we should have been. But by His Spirit and Word, He helps us to get where we should be. And so for those of you who are thinking, Oh, I'm a miserable failure. I didn't do what Mary and Joseph did. No, the story doesn't say you have to imitate Mary and Joseph. I'm simply using them as an illustration, an example of what two godly parents did in raising up a godly son and trying to encourage you to do the same kinds of things in your own life. Now, kids, I want you to hear something here. You might think, well, I'm too young and a lot of this is going over my head. And what kind of effect is this going to have on me? If you keep reading Luke 2, you find out that Jesus just kept on growing in this. And when he was 12 years old, think of this. When he was 12 years old, he was so well versed in the scriptures that he wanted to go to church. He didn't just want to go to church, but he wanted to go to church and sit with the big people and carry on conversations with them about the things of God. And so in Luke 2, we see Jesus sitting in the temple and he's talking to pastors and teachers about the things of God. He's asking them questions and he's hearing their answers and they're asking him questions and he's answering them. And it's a great picture of the way things should be in the life of God's people. And so, little kids, I want you to know that you don't have to be a big person to talk to your pastor. You don't have to be a big person to talk to your elders. You can talk to us anytime that you want. And we can talk about the things of God or other things as well. The thing I want you to see is that in God's way of doing things, His covenant community, His temple, His word is for you. It's for little kids. It's not just for the big people, but you got to start somewhere, okay? So maybe you're thinking, well, I'm 12 years old, but I don't know everything I ought to know. And I'll say to you, I'm 47 years old, and I don't know everything I ought to know either. So let's grow up in the grace and knowledge together. Let's do this together. That's the way God intended for us to do these things. Now, the Scriptures tell us that when Mary and Joseph finished everything according to the law of the Lord... They went back home. But I want, to, I want to say something here about the word finished. Think of how important it is, the consequences of ideas, the repercussions of our actions, the implications of decisions we make. 
Here we see Mary and Joseph finishing everything according to the law of the Lord when Jesus was a baby. And I'll tell you why that's important. It's because later on in the story, Jesus is going to reach a crisis moment. As we all do in life. And the crisis moment will be, should I stay? Should I go? Should I quit? Or should I finish? And for him, that crisis moment comes on the cross when he's a man hanging on the cross. And it's in that moment, hanging on the cross, that Jesus does what his mother and father did. He finished everything according to the law and the prophets, just as he was trained to do. And we know he finished because he declared, It is finished. When Proverbs says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not. He will not depart from it. It's not just a neat slogan to stick on your refrigerator or on a calendar. This is something that was actually fleshed out in the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus learned to finish because He saw His mommy and daddy finish. He learned to stay the course Because he saw mommy and daddy staying the course. And so you see, there is a direct correlation between a parent's faithful obedience to God's word and their child's spiritual development and formation. We see that clearly in the life of Jesus. Well, I hope that as you reflect on this story, you find encouragement in your own life. Challenge as well. We all have room to grow in areas where we need to change. And there are some simple things we can do. Simple things we can do. Start small if you need to, if you haven't already. You can start by mommies and daddies. You can start by reading the Scriptures together. Reading the Scriptures together with your kids. Telling stories. Reminding them of God's Word when it's time to correct or discipline them. Pray with them, especially in their moments of grief and sorrow. Rejoice with them over the good things that are happening. Children, there are some things you can do as well. The story tells us that Jesus went home with His mommy and daddy, and He was submissive to them. So as you learn to walk in the steps of Jesus Christ, you can be submissive to your parents. And what does that mean? It means that you're going to obey them. And you're not going to backtalk them. You're going to trust them. You're going to uh, feed the dog when they tell you to feed the dog. And you're going to play with your siblings and not fight. You're going to turn off your video games every once in a while. And you're going to pray with your family and read the Scriptures together. You're going to say your prayers and do homework. And you're going to get ready for church Sometimes joyfully, sometimes not. But you're going to do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. You're going to do all of these things. And if we do these things together in our families, things will go well with us. As we see in the story, like Jesus, you little kids will grow in wisdom and in stature and in grace with God and man. And so go back to that story again and see that it's not just a Christmas story that you visit once a year. 
But little kids, go back and see that this is how God loves you. He loves you enough to show you the way that He came into the world just like you did. And He had to grow up just like you did, scraping His knee, having the growing pains, all of those things. But He has to learn obedience through His struggles. He has to learn God's Word in His own life. He has to learn to live it out as well. And I want to encourage you all to do that in your life. Let us pray together.